Look, I believe in one simple truth. You don't have to be superhuman to be a superhero. There are heroes all around us. Heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, and technology. And on this show, I'm going to talk to them all. My name is Joe Anthony, and this is Hero Talk. Welcome to another episode of Hero Talk, where we talk to ordinary people doing extraordinary things, heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, society, who all have one thing in common, they want to change the world. I'm your host, Joe Anthony, and today I'm with a hero from the LGBT community, Des Marshall. What's up, Des? What's going on? How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks good. for having me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I'm digging the high top fade. You Thank know, you. Bring it back, smooth, man. Bring it smooth. back. Well, look, um, I want to kind of dive right into it because the work that you're doing, uh, people are picking up on it. It was just featured in Complex. You know, um, you know, people are talking about um, the amazing work you're doing within the LGBT community. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who Des Marshall is? what you do, where you come from, and kind of uh, how you develop this kind of incredible, um, you know, sensibility towards, you know, your community and, and, and doing the work that you do. Sure. Um, so I'm originally from Springfield, Mass. Uh, I came out to New York uh, when I went to college, went to Hofstra University, and I've been out here for the last about 10 years or so. Um, I started out as a community organizer. Um, I was working with LGBTQ youth of color um, in uh, not too far from here on uh, 24th and, and 7th with a group called Fierce. And we worked on issues of like police harassment, uh, gentrification, and really access to safe uh, public space. Um, and uh, I cut my hair. And for me, it was really hard to, I had really long hair and I cut it to Caesar. Mm -hmm. And it was hard for me to find a barber who was gonna cut my hair the way I wanted and respect me as um, a queer woman coming into the space. And so I bought my own clippers, started cutting my own hair. Um, I figured my youth members were having some of the same difficulties. Um, and also, at least I was employed, I could afford a haircut. Mm -hmm. They had employment issues as well. Mm -hmm. So I started giving them free haircuts in exchange for uh, their uh, participation in the organization and just kind of honed my skills. Um, like many folks in organizing, I got burnt out. Mm. And uh, cutting hair was the one other thing I was really, really passionate about. And so knowing the difficulties I had finding a barber, hearing the stories from my youth members with their experiences at barbershops, I knew I wanted to be the barber for the queer, trans, and gender nonconforming community. And so got my barber license, and uh, I haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Well, talk a little bit about the kind of experiences that you talk about or that you've referenced um, that kind of led you down this path. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we take for granted, you know, uh, as, as at least as New Yorkers, I mean, you know, one of the safe places and the places I go on the weekends, hang out with my boys is to go get a cut. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of one thing that, that we all kind of just presume you're always going to be welcomed um, and you're always going to be received with a level of, of camaraderie and hospitality, right? Because, um, you know, that's where you socialize, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, and to be honest, I, I never thought about how that could potentially impact the LGBT, uh, LGBT community. Um, so what was the first experience that you had that really kind of set you down the path and said, you know what, you know, I, I got to change this? Uh, it'll be the first time when I, when I cut my hair. Um, so I 
cut all my long hair at a beauty salon with mm -hmm. my mom when I was in high school. And uh, it just felt really weird being in that space. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I don't think I want to come back to a beauty salon. There just wasn't, there was no connection there. Yeah. Um, and I, I had an afro for a really long time. And I just wanted to see what I looked like with no hair. So I was like, all right, I'm going to cut this, this joint off. So I went to a barbershop uh, near Hofstra. <laughs> And uh, there were a couple of people ahead of me, so I go in and I sit in the waiting area and I'm checking out the different barbers, trying to figure out which one I'm going to let cut my hair. And uh, I was there for about 30 minutes after the shop emptied uh, because nobody, none of the barbers were talking to me. Nobody gestured me to come to their, to their chair. Um, so I finally just pointed to the dude. I was like, is your chair open? Sat down. And immediately he started asking, why was I cutting my hair? Am I a lesbian? Um, mm. Do I have a girlfriend? What's sex like? Like really mm. invasive and like mm. my homies didn't even ask yeah. me these questions. Um, so it felt really uncomfortable, um, but he gave me a dope cut. <laughs> and so I kept going back and I just wouldn't engage with him. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the, I didn't want to have to make that decision between do I get a dope cut and get treated like shit or mm. do I find another barber? Um, in uh, Long Island, it was a little bit more difficult because I don't drive. But mm -hmm. when I came to the when I came to Brooklyn and started living out here, um, it was some of the same instances. Like I would go, I'd get ignored when I was in the shop, um, or when I would walk in, it's like all eyes on me. Um, I equated to like as people of color when we go into businesses and you get followed around, mm -hmm. and that feeling of like they don't want you there, you don't belong. That's how I felt going into different barbershops. Um, I finally did find a barber who treated me with respect and demanded respect from everybody else in the shop, but he wasn't the best barber. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went to him for a very, very long time and then started just cutting my own hair because I was like, all right, this is simple enough. I'm just getting a low cut season on the number one. Mm -hmm. um, I can go without a shape up for a little <laughs> bit because I didn't know how to do that yet. Um, but for me, it was, I, I didn't like the feeling I got walking into a shop and all eyes being on me. And these questions about my personal life, um, it felt like I was being interrogated sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, I think that, that those particular barbers, they may have thought that they were bonding with mm -hmm. me. Um, but for me, it just made me feel really, really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't want to feel that anymore. And I didn't want my members to have that feeling either. Um, that's why I started giving them free haircuts. And um, once I went to barber school, got my license, I knew well, I wanted to. Was this experience prior to you um, going to barber school? Yeah. Or had you already? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I had been going to barber shops for my haircuts probably about seven years, mm -hmm. eight years before I went to, went to barber school. Um, but, you know, once I found a barber that respected me for me, it was at the cost of a really good haircut. Mm -hmm. um, and you shouldn't have to make mm -hmm. that distinction. You shouldn't have to make that choice Absolutely. to be treated like a person but your hair look a mess. <laughs> well, your hair look dope, but you're treated like a mess. So the first time you started doing this, um, you got a chair in someone else's shop. Is, uh, so how, how did you start down this path? Um, I got really lucky being at the, at the barber school that I was at. Um, a customer came in, and uh, it was probably like, it was my last week in the school, and I'd never cut this guy's hair before. Um, and it was a very simple cut. He just wanted a baldy and a shave. And me and him were chopping it up, and he was asking, um, would I be here next week? And I was like, no, nah, I'm graduating from the school. And he asked me what shop I'm going to be at. I was like, I don't have a shop yet. 
um, we found out we both lived in Flatbush, and he was like, I know a lot of barbers, um, so I'll talk to them and I'll come back and let you know if I find anything. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I just waved it off like this dude's never gonna come back. And a couple of days later, he did with a bunch of business cards. And uh, he was going through all of them. It was like, this one seems really excited to have a female barber. This one, not so much, but they have an empty chair. Um, so I took one of the cards, went to the shop, um, talked to the owner. He had me cut hair in front of him. And uh, he was like, all right, you're not going to mess anybody up, so I'll give you the chair. And uh, I was there for almost two years, uh, building my brand, building my clientele, building my skill. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Because uh, the type of space and what I'm trying to create for my community, it just it's a dope barbershop, but they couldn't be what I needed. Yeah. Um, and so I went to another shop, um, which was really good. Uh, unfortunately, the owner passed away. And uh, so now I'm at my third shop, which I'm hoping to stay at for a while because moving <laughs> is tiring. So what's the feedback you're getting from people within the gay community right now? I mean, like I said, I, I've taken this for granted and, I, and, and I'm sure that there's a lot of other people that don't recognize the challenges that um, people in the LGBT community face from getting a simple cut. But what's yeah. the response been from people within your community? I mean, for my clients, um, I mean, I'm successful at what I do because of them. Um, and clients coming back repeatedly. I've been doing this now for three years. Um, and a lot of my clients I've had for, for those three years. Um, a lot of the common feedback I get is that they feel respected, they feel seen, that I give them exactly the type of cut that they want. Um, when other folks, my, my, my uh, clients kind of put my info out there word of mouth or they throw it up on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram and people will hit me up and be like, I had no clue that this even existed. I want to get a cut by you ASAP. Um, because they, I think folks know at this point they come to whatever shop I'm at in my chair, you're going to be seen, you're going to be respected, you're going to get the cut that you ask for. Um, for me, it's, it's less about the cut itself and it's more about just connecting with the person. Um, as an organizer, when you're, when you're building your base, when you're trying to recruit members, that's what it's about is, is that individual person and building that genuine bond. And I take that with me as a barber. Um, which is one reason why I think I'm so successful at what I've been doing is because I'm, I'm being real with folks mm -hmm. um, and I'm giving them dope cuts, mm. which is part of the game. You know, I, I see my bartender almost the same way I see a, a bartender, somebody that, you know, for those few minutes I'm having a drink, for those few minutes I'm in a chair, you know, we have a relationship, we have a bond, yep. we can just, you know, be transparent with each other. We can talk about family. We can talk about sports, music, oh, whatever. Yeah, they're your therapist. Yeah. And <laughs> they're your, your, therapist. your life coach. Exactly. And confidant. Exactly. All of exactly. Yeah. So, what are some of the things you know that your clients are telling you uh, while they're sitting in these chairs? Are you just having um, normal conversations? Do the conversations stem and revolve around the current conditions within the LGBT community here in New York? Um, what what are some of those things that you guys are discussing? I mean, uh, if you could, if you, yeah. if, you, if you can tell, if you can, what, and what you can share well, with client us. client privilege. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talk about everything that you probably talk about with your barber, with your bartender, with your mm -hmm. homie, like wh whoever it is. We we talk about current events. Mm -hmm. We talk about sports. I'm a big basketball fan. I'm from Springfield, Mass. We invented <laughs> basketball. It's in my DNA. <laughs> Um, so I'm always talking about basketball. We usually have ESPN on. A lot of times for some of my clients, that it's like a foreign language to them, so I try and talk to them about sports to kind of just teach them about the game. Uh, we, talk, we talk a lot about Trump. Yeah. Um, 
and before then we would talk about Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my clients have kids, so they show me pictures. Um, some have gotten married since I've been cutting their hair. Some have health issues, and they talk to me about that. Um, you know, my, my clients run the range of ages to like from 13 to 70. So whatever their experiences are in their life, we're, we're talking about it. If it's, mm. a, if it's one of my 13-year-olds, I'm asking them about school. Um, if it's a 70-year-old, I'm asking about life and trying to get some wisdom from them since yeah. they've seen so much. Um, but we do a lot of times when, when it's the first time a client is coming to me and they've been to another barber, I do ask, what, what about that experience didn't you like? What did you like? Um, so I can make sure to, to create a, a safe and welcoming space for them that's going to bring them back. From the first time you, you came and migrated to New York to where you are now, are you seeing a change in um, the level of confidence amongst people within the LGBT community to live their truth? Um, or is there still a level of apprehension, especially amongst young people, to kind of come out and, and, and live their truth um, indiscriminately and yeah. just be who they are? I think young folks are the bravest people in this world right now. Mm. Um, I did not come out myself until after college, uh, well, after my freshman year. Mm. Um, and it was because I knew at that point, if God forbid my family had uh, abandoned me, I was ready to provide for myself. Um, but young folks are coming out at such mm. early ages now, uh, which I wish I had came out earlier, because then, I mean, I, I didn't create a, a queer family until I was in my mid-20s, mm -hmm. I'm in my mid-30s now. Um, so it's still, it's still kind of new to me. I'm still kind of a baby gay yeah. in some ways. Um, but young folks are, are coming out earlier and earlier, which I think is really dope and really great. And kind of, it kind of helps to diminish the othering that happens in this yeah. community. Um, but I don't necessarily think interactions have really changed. We still have uh, super homophobic people, uh, super transphobic people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's great that uh, the trans community and their issues and, and you know, just them are getting more of, a, of the limelight and kind of mainstream media. Mm -hmm. um, but all of us, we've been around since the dawning yeah. of time. Mm -hmm. It's just that now more folks are, are seeing us. Um, but, you know, we, we've, it's like anything else, we've overcome a lot, but there's still such a long way to go. What do you think is contributing to the rise in confidence amongst young people to kind of live their truth and, uh, and come out earlier? I mean, because I'm on the train, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, young female couples, you know, holding hands and being overt and expressing themselves without kind of fear or concern. Mm -hmm. And it's refreshing. I actually grew up with um, uh, a gay cousin and her and I were, you know, best friends growing yeah. up. And so she would expose me um, to her social circles. Okay. And they were just some of the most amazing people that I've ever met in my life. So when I grow up now and I hear, or when, you know, I hear all these polarizing stories about, um, you know, the gay experience and how, especially in New York, uh, people are still living with a level of apprehension in terms of coming out. But at the same time, you're seeing these young people being, to your point, extremely brave. What do you think is driving that? Um, is it social media and the fact that they grew up in an age yeah, where self-expression is being celebrated? I is think it's, it, it's a little bit easier when you know other folks like yourself. Um, when I was growing up in Springfield, I was the only gay person I knew. Um, I didn't know anybody else. When I got to high school, there were two girls that, that came out. They were um, 
couple of grades younger than me. And uh, I was so excited that they came out and that they were open at the school. And I so badly wanted to, to be a part of that, to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm Des, I'm queer, and this is who I am. Mm. Uh, my biggest dream was to have gone to my prom with the girl that I was <laughs> crushing on. Um, but that didn't happen because I didn't know anybody else. I felt yeah. very much alone. Um, but with Instagram, with Twitter, Facebook, just the interwebs, mm -hmm. Al Gore's internet yeah. <laughs> uh, lets us connect to people that um, you know we don't necessarily see in person, or maybe we do, but you can feel just more community and more camaraderie. And when you have folks who are supportive of you, who are also experiencing the same thing, living living that experience with you, um, you know, it does give you more confidence and uh, you know more folks that love you that mm -hmm. are, are gonna have your back. Um, so when you do come out, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's the, you know, your world is about to end because your family might uh, disown you because now you have this other group of folks. Yeah. I didn't have that growing up. Um, I didn't know how to seek that out either. And I think uh, younger folks today, like they just, they know how to do all that stuff because mm -hmm. they have that access. Um, I've been able to do that now in my adult life. I wish I had it when I was younger, mm -hmm. but you know, to each their own. You play the cards you dealt with. Now, now, you spoke a little bit about the trans community um, kind of being the topic of the day within the LGBT community or you know, within that narrative. Um, how much of that population makes up your customer base? Or do you outreach to them specifically to let them know that um, you, know, you want their business and you want mm -hmm. them as clients? I mean, obviously, we hear a lot of the horror stories around how they're treated. Um, the suicide rate mm -hmm. um, within that particular sector of the LGBT community uh, is extremely high. Um, in your outreach work, do you do anything specific to target those, um, those members of your community? Um, so most of my, my uh, outreach happens um, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And really all I did was uh, I would go on Facebook and search for all the groups I could find in New York that had the word queer, <laughs> trans, or gender nonconforming in it. And I would just, uh, I make memes and I would post them in the group. Um, so it was definitely an intention, um, but I wouldn't say that it was like a, it wasn't like extremely focused. Mm. I just would post in any Our any last queer, guest was from Google. Group. You gotta get with her and get the keywords <laughs> exactly. so people can search and find you easier. Um, yeah. But you know, a good a good amount of my clientele are uh, trans folks, um, and so again, I mean, I think the the ultimate reason that a lot of people come and see me is because I see them. Mm -hmm. I see them as people. Mm -hmm. um, I see them as the individuals that they are. I see them as part of the community that we're all a part of. Um, but I think for for folks uh, who are trans, um, who may not pass um, for whatever reasons. Um, you know, they don't always feel, they don't get a welcome, a welcoming a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, and people transition in different ways. Uh, some folks if, uh, might take hormones, some might have uh, some surgeries done, and some don't do anything, um, but identify as trans. And so my job is to support them and all my clients in being who they want to be, looking the way that they want to look, uh, regardless of orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. And I think folks just, they feel comfortable with me. Mm. A little broader question now. I mean, what do you think are some of the stereotypes that are still driving um, 
you know, some of the uh, misperceptions amongst the LGBT community or um, acceptance uh, within kind of mainstream society, not just here in New York, but everywhere. I mean, some of the things I grew up, uh, you know, being told was that gay people just like to hang out with gay people. Or, really? like, yeah, or like, you know, uh, like if you saw gay people together, like people were apprehensive about approaching kind of a group of gay people because they felt like, you know, they were their own clique. Um, and those are just things that I was exposed to. But what are some of the stereotypes that are still kind of creating that wedge between the straight community and the queer community to help kind of uh, build some of these bridges that desperately yeah. need to be created? Um, I mean, I always... I always see on like Twitter or here in, in the news, they talk about this gay agenda. I go to the monthly gay meetings, I've never seen any gay agenda before. So I don't know what they're talking about. Um, but I mean, we're, we're people just like anybody else. Um, so I'm not, I think it's just, it's, it's this othering and this like, folks are always, they ask me, how did, how did you know you were, were queer? And I'm like, well, how did you know you weren't? Mm -hmm. um, I'm queer because that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. You're straight just because that's who you are. Like, I think people want to try and understand something that you don't really need to understand. You don't need to understand my sexuality. Um, you just need to understand I'm a person. I have wants, I have needs, I have desires, I have feelings, I have goals, I have prejudices. Um, I'm like anybody else. Queer community, trans community, gender nonconforming community is just like anything else. Um, I think folks need to understand the difference between orientation, identity, and expression. Because um, I think that, you know, a lot of times you might see people and they're like, oh yeah, they're gay because of the way that someone looks. Um, folks will readily say that I'm queer because I dress the way I dress. I dress like this because I had two older brothers and I mimicked everything they did and I wanted to be just like them. If I had two older sisters who were very femme and wore dresses and long flowing hair, I'd probably dress like that. I'd still be queer though. Um, but I think it's just this, this othering and like, that's not me. So I don't understand that. Mm. Um, and I don't, I don't know why folks do that. I don't know why folks have so much hate. Um, I don't know why people have posters saying that I'm going to hell because I have a girlfriend instead of a boyfriend. I don't understand that level of hate, uh, for someone that you don't even know. I don't get it. Mm. Um, but if you have conversations with folks that can help like talk to a queer person, talk to a trans person. Everybody knows these folks. You may not be aware, but you know them. You mm. know a trans person in your life. Um, you know a gay person in your life. Talk to them. We're not, we're not aliens. We're just like everybody else. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think it's the, people like to compare it to, to the struggle and plight of, of black folks in America and how long it took to be accepted and still be accepted and still be seen. Um, I would say that those two are very different, but I walk in this world as a queer woman of color, so I experience a lot of different isms all at once. Mm. Um, I think just talking is the first step. Um, I don't know what comes after that, though, because we haven't had talks yet. So you're so used to being so many other people's therapists. Mm -hmm. Who's your therapist? Like, how, who, who do you express yourself to? Who do you release to? Who, do, who comforts you sometimes? Because obviously you're doing noble work where you, you're providing these people with such an amazing platform and a place to feel safe. Where do you turn to for that same comfort? Um, I'm very lucky to have a really dope best friend that I've 
who has been my friend since second grade. Um, so my friend Serana is my go-to. Um, we email almost every day. We talk once, twice a week on the phone. Um, that's, that's my rock. Uh, it's like my sister. Um, and my girlfriend is, uh, my girlfriend Crystal is probably my biggest support. Uh, we both came from organizing backgrounds. Um, so we kind of have the same kind of language around processing things and, and uh, our goals are very similar even though we do different work. Our goal is you know, to support our communities um, in different various ways. And so she knows my vision, I know her vision, they link up well. Um, she actually is the one who supported and, and kind of pushed me to become a barber because um, I talked about it for so long but was so scared to make that jump from organizing to, to being a barber. Um, Obviously, gotta thank my mom because <laughs> I'd be nothing without her. Um, I'm the baby of the family, mm -hmm. so everything. There's nothing that I can do that's wrong in her eyes. Um, she she thinks that I can achieve anything in the world, um, and I got just good, dope friends that that support me. But when something something is good or bad in my life, Crystal's the first person I want to talk to. Second person is is Serana. No, that's great. So. That's great. And now, you talked a little bit earlier about goals. What is your ultimate goal? What's your purpose? What are you really trying to achieve? What's success for you? For me, the ultimate goal is uh, to have my own shop. Um, it's, it's nice to be able to rent and not have to worry about mm. all the many things that an owner of a business has to worry about. Um, but I really want to have my own shop. Um, I want it to expand beyond just being a barbershop. Like I want to be, um, you know, the kind of beauty and wellness one-stop shop for the queer, trans, and gender nonconforming community. Um, I want to be able to, folks to be able to come through, get their hair cut if they need a barber, go to the beauty salon. You need to beat that face for an event. You come see my makeup folks. Um, I want like facials and back massages and to have uh, you know, therapists if needed, someone for, for people to talk to. I wanna be mindful of what's helpful for folks to use in terms of makeup or, or any type of beauty supplies that is good if they're on uh, taking any type of uh, hormones, if they're transitioning. Um, and I wanna be that one-stop shop for, for my community. Um, and also, you know, I wanna, I'm a, I'm a community organizer. That's never gonna leave me. Um, so I want my space to be available to the community to have events, to have meetings. The same way that some folks think of like the black church, I want my shop to be, to be that for the community. Because um, it's, it's important that we have safe spaces. It's important that we all you know, have a place to go to. It's not a safe space if it's just for one group. Like everybody needs to be welcomed. So I want straight cis folks to come through. I want trans folks to come through. I want queer folks to come through, gender fluid folks to come through. I want to build real community. And I want to do that starting with, with haircuts. Um, it's the great equalizer, because everybody wants to look good. Well, I'm going to be your first client up in there. So That's I mean, I, hopefully you get this shop. I know you're going to do it. What you're doing is amazing work, Des. Thank, Thank you so you much for stopping by and blessing us and telling us about the amazing work that you're doing. You. Anything we can do to help, please holler at us. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.